Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Writers and Authors Show with Books Forward. We love working with Books Forward. They have, uh, well, they represent the best authors. And today we've got a really cool author joining us, Mike Yam. He is a sportscaster and a studio host for the NFL Network and Sirius XM Radio. But he's not joining us to talk about football, which is probably a good thing since all we know about football over here is to play classical music when you put it on the TV and see how football people do things. So anyway, so today we're actually talking about his children's book. It's called Fried Rice and Marinara. It is awesome, and we can't wait because uh, what this book does is really celebrates multi-ethnic backgrounds. And um, for a kid's book, um, and then focusing on food and birthday parties, you can't go wrong. So welcome, Mike. How are you? Lisa, it is great to be with you. You have now given me a new idea. I have been watching football my entire life. I don't know if I have ever thrown the classical music on, put the mm-hmm. TV on mute, and just watch these players. It is poetry yes. in motion in a lot of ways, so it, it will be a new viewing experience when I try that yes. next week. Well, and then do it during the holiday season, put the Nutcracker Suite on, and that really is quite amazing. So I recommend Tchaikovsky for it, but that's as far as we go with understanding football. But I did watch rugby and soccer, so that's kind of the closest I get to understanding football. You're you're on it. You're you're on on it, for sure. You know, know, we'll, we'll make it work. So tell us a little bit about your background getting into sports casting. I mean, so really you're a communicator, no matter how you look at it, whether you're doing radio, TV, obviously a communicator. So this is another branch out. But um, yeah, what what did everyone say when you're going from football to, hey, I'm writing a kid's book and no, it's not uh, about the- football. Lisa, there's been a lot of twists and turns during the course of my career. And even the fact that I I get to talk about sports for a living was not exactly the initial intent for me. I I started, you know, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I got to college. I was the pre-med track. And clearly that didn't last long. I took a hard right turn early in my career, um, my college career, and decided that, you know, sports, I was always in love with sports. But I, I candidly, I didn't know... I know this sounds crazy because as a kid, I was watching every game. I was playing every sport, but I actually didn't know that there were broadcasters and it was a job that I could do. Fundamentally, I think I understood that those roles existed, but I never envisioned myself or even knew that that something like that was possible. And it wasn't until I got to college and sort of found the radio station there. And I fell in love with media communication, as you made reference to, and certainly telling stories. And for the majority of my career, I've just been telling stories about athletes. And, you know, over time, I I think as I've gotten a little bit older and talked to family and have seen a lot of um, my family who, you know, there's some mixed race backgrounds there, including myself, because I'm Chinese and Italian, I started to realize that there was a real massive void in children's literature. And I think just in media in general, that had Asian characters taking a lead that talked about mixed race families, and it just didn't exist. And one of my cousins um, who is Chinese, her husband is Jewish. They got three little ones who are amazing. And one day she had said to me a few years ago, do you know any books that exist for kids that have 
Asian boys because Nate needs some of those stories and I, I can't find any. And she said, you know, if you have any recommendations and I, I didn't, and then it sort of sparked something in my mind. And I said, man, like when I was a kid, there was the book about Superman, which I loved. I probably had my mom read it to me 10,000 times. I, I still can close my eyes and, and picture that book. And my dad is a cytotechnician, uh, which is, and as a cytologist, it's the study of cells. So I had a cool. book with Snoopy that talked about cells. Like those were the books that I couldn't remember, but I never had a book that had an Asian character, you know, mixed race, yeah, it, mixed race families. Like that just wasn't necessarily a thing in the early eighties that, that I think was generally, um, I shouldn't say accepted. That's probably overstating it, but there was a time early in my career or early in my life where Lisa, I legitimately as a kid thought I was the only Chinese Italian person on the planet. And yeah, you know, I think part of all of this, and this is probably the longest winded answer to your question, but that's sort of how we netted out to, to fried rice and marinara. You know, I think you're right there. I mean, I'm going back to my childhood, but you know, I, I grew up in different countries, but there wasn't enough like girls books. The, it was like the Hardy boys. We had Nancy Drew and that's it. And I was like, sure. you know what? Come on. We need some girls in there. And, you know, and then if they did put them in there, they're always falling over tree trunks and, you know, like, we're not good. Like, I was a good tomboy and I wanted tomboys. But, you know, going into a multi-ethnic backgrounds, you know, a mixed race and cultures and beliefs, that was kind of a no-no if you think about it all the way through. And then I think the 60s, it started to happen, but it was a hush-hush thing. Um, and, you know, mixing religions was a big deal. So I, you know, we've, we've changed a lot over the last, you know, few decades, but not the literature hasn't caught up with what no human beings are doing. And it's still, it depends, still a big no-no in some cultures. Like it's yeah. still, you know what I mean? So I celebrate what you're doing because I think, and I love the fact that you brought food into this and a birthday party because, you know, who doesn't love a party? And it's a big deal. I mean, as a kid, like waiting for you. Now we, I don't care. I'm like, Shh. I'm holding on to this other one year I have for like exactly. a very long time. Please don't, you know. But um, as kids, it's a huge deal. But the food at, you know, we travel a lot. Um, and food is one way to get people together, slow down, hopefully yeah. put their phone down and communicate over different ideals and maybe have a positive conversation so i love that breaking bread of it but then you're like hey we can actually celebrate with two different you know dishes that hey fried rice and marinara now have you had that have you because now i'm curious to make this now yeah yeah um i can honestly tell you it was not a conscious decision decision. Um, but as a kid, we said like all of the birthday parties, it was both Chinese and Italian food. Cause I really did love mm -hmm. both. And I, you know, from a, a food standpoint, I never felt like I was getting pulled, but I think from a cultural standpoint, those things happen. But at those birthday parties, my plate was loaded. I mean, it was, it was both foods on the plate. So while I can't technically say I've made fried rice and marinara, I am pretty positive there was some cross-pollinization on the plate and they were mixed together. So I will net out and say, yes, I did have it, but yeah. I didn't actually make it. I've done, you know, spaghetti and meatballs on top of a salad just out of, and I had it for breakfast. I'm weird. <laughs> Need but the greens. like, you know, it just, Hey, I've actually, I had salad for breakfast this morning. I am weird. I, I don't know many people that will do that, but you know, to me, I think, Hey, no, try it out, you know, and for kids, that's creativity. And I love that, um, little Mikey goes to his grand, his grandma's and then you're, 
putting in, and you've got the video too, that animated video of the book, which is really fun for people to get into, but going to the grandmas and even hearing the different cultural names for grandmas, you know, that was also something interesting that I didn't actually know. So. Yeah, it, it was, it, and that was just sort of how life was, you know, my Chinese grandmother, Babu, that's, you know, that's how I referenced mm-hmm. her, you know, I think for Italian culture, we hear Nana and, and, mm-hmm. and no, and, and that's familiar to us, but you're right. Like in the story, Mikey's got to figure out like, Hey, how do I make this decision? Cause his mom says, Hey, like you got to figure out like, what kind of food do you want for your fourth birthday party? So he goes to the, the grandmas who are his food gurus and trying to get some advice. And his Chinese grandmother says, look, in, in Hong Kong, we had Chinese food. And his Italian grandmother says in Italy, we had Italian food. So there's this dilemma at place for, for Mikey as he's trying to, to decide which, which direction to go. And you're right. We, we do get to a point where we're able to combine the foods and, and he realizes like, Hey, like this is pretty cool. And, you know, I don't need to just identify with one. I'm really both, um, uh, cultures. And to me, it was just, it was the easiest way to link the idea of multicultural backgrounds in one centralized mm-hmm. story. And as you made reference to, I think all of us can appreciate going out to dinner with our friends or our family and having some of those conversations. But I think at four, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit harder, right? So how do I create a backdrop? Well, my God, who doesn't love a birthday party mm-hmm. when, when they're a kid, especially at four, like that's the excitement. You got the presents and the birthday gifts, yeah. and your friends are going to come over. Um, so that, that's, the reason why we went down this path of trying to create the story. And I think, you know, you made reference to the video component. Fried Rice and Marinara actually, it started as a video on a platform called Vooks, which fully animates children's stories. They have read-along text with you with that narration. And, you know, it's able to help fast-track reading. And I wanted to go down this path because when I was a kid, there were some struggles for me learning how to read. And I wish Mm. I had a platform like Vooks. And, you know, and for anyone who's listening right now or watching this video, like you can get the book and it's amazing. And I I hope you people go and do it, but you can actually watch the video and the story. Mm for free on YouTube. There is a difference though, Lisa, between the book and and the video, not from a story perspective, but at the end of the actual physical Mm -hmm. book, there's a page at the back and I wanted the story to continue on for families after they were done reading it. And there's a final page where it gives kids an opportunity to either write or draw their favorite funky food combinations. Um, You know, because when I was writing the story, I, I envisioned telling the story to one of my nieces and nephews. And I know I have crazy language and I get fully animated with them. And, you know, I want them to think. And anytime I tell them a story, I ask them questions after because I want to see where their mind goes. So for me, with the actual physical book, I I wanted that experience to continue once they were done reading the actual story. See, there's the journalist in you, you know, (laughs) it's got to have a question at the end. Well, no, but I love that part. And I love that you also in the book and also call it a mashup because that's something that kids know now. I don't think we had that term when, when I was growing up, you know, you know, that's it's the mashup. So it's really well done. Even the rhyming and just the literacy, it just, it moves really fun and well. And it's like, Ooh, you know, and it's, it's weird because. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm not that age anymore. I'm not four years old by a long shot. Well, I can be at times, <laughs> but you do catch yourself even as adult reading while you're listening and you go in. It's kind of, yeah. it's like being in karaoke. Like you're watching the bouncing ball. 
<laughs> I really appreciate that because one of the things as a first time author and the first time I'm actually writing a children's book, I think about how I absorb information and what was memorable for me as a kid. And of course, song, even as an adult, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm in the car, no one wants to hear me sing, but I'll be singing those, those lyrics. And uh, it occurred to me, Hey, you know, maybe this is the way to actually write this story have it rhyme so it becomes a little bit more memorable. And at times when I was writing some of the words and the rhyme scheme, I was trying to almost sing it, like have a mm-hmm. beat in the background. So uh, I really do appreciate you, you know, making that comment and, and talking about the the ups and downs and the cadence of of the scheme. Yeah, no. And the actual illustrations, tell us about who did your illustrations because they're really well done. I mean, cause yeah. that's a, that's a hard thing to put on someone. It's like, here, um, you're, you're going to, you know, now draw someone that is from two different backgrounds, um, ethnic backgrounds and you better get it right. Yeah. <laughs> cause we someone's were... going to get mad somewhere if you don't. Exactly. Exactly. My mom was really happy, um, when, uh, she saw these illustrations. So all the characters in the story that have a name are actually based off of real people in my family. Family. And when we were putting this project together, the team at Vux, you know, they're, they're known for their animation and illustrations. So they paired me with Laura Dong, who is actually based in Europe. But I, and I'm not saying this and I sound like I'm really biased and I don't care if it sounds like I'm biased, but I really do think I had maybe the best illustrator on the planet. She's her, her the credibility. Oh, and I, I must have told her a handful of times and I think she probably got tired of me saying it, but her illustrations, I think, really lended a ton of credibility to this story as someone who hadn't done this before. To have someone with her resume and background, she you know worked for for Apple Plus and has worked on shows like Wolf Walkers and has won awards um, on that side. So fully versed on it. And I think to your point on trying to find a character and an illustration that of a mixed race person, you're right. Like you do want to get it right. And the first Mm -hmm. question she had to me was, can you go and just send me pictures of yourself as a kid Mm -hmm. and your family members that I can work off of? And, and that's exactly what she did. I mean, some of the, the particulars and even from a non-character standpoint, I sent a picture and it's one of the first images that you see in the book. And it's Mikey with his mom outside of his house and there's some details on the house. And I got chills when I first saw the first drafts of those illustrations because the detail of my childhood home, there was these little workings that she worked into it. So it was amazing. Wow. Um, she's, she's spectacular. She's a complete sweetheart and, and really did such an amazing job. I'm so proud of the work that she did. And, and once again, just the, the credibility giving to this story as someone who hasn't been down this path before. I am ridiculously fortunate that she agreed to do this. Well, I know because people think, oh, you know, just do a, you know, slap out a children's book. It's easy because, but it's not because you have to be in their headset. And how do they take in information? Just like what you do as a sportscaster. It's like, how are you going to deliver this information? And so to me, it's really, it's a fascinating thing. I also, I write music. So I understand, oh, you know, you know, that kind of balance of what you've done. And I think it, it moves and it's perfect and it slows down in places that you wanted to slow down to sink in. Like, oh, I could do this. I could do a mashup, like have that, you know, moment where kids start to think and have those ideas for themselves. Like, Hey, maybe I don't want marinara. Maybe I want, you know, some cheese sauce, whatever it is. For sure. Actually, that sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> but you know, so I think that's cool. So are you going to do another one? Cause I know it's, it's not that 
it it's it is time consuming to get this correct you know yeah you're you're 100 right in the resources and the help that i know i needed you know you made reference to to laura and her illustrations but this book doesn't get done without jonathan sunday who was the editor on it his awesome. expertise you know as i was writing it I could close my eyes and I can envision what I wanted it to look like. But at the same time, the words needed to be able to carry the story. And that was something that Jonathan really helped teach me when we were writing this book. So you want that language to be strong enough that if it didn't have illustrations, you could still capture some of that attention. But this is absolutely something that I, I love to do. Uh, if you would have told me 10 years ago, I would be writing a children's book, Lisa, I would have said you were crazy. Like, what are you talking about? I, I don't know if I can actually do something like that, but. This gets back to something that we talked about early on, the void in children's literature when it comes to mm -hmm. diverse characters. And I've done a lot of research on this over the last few months and, and really the last couple of years on the inability for the publishing world to really catch up to what society is, mm -hmm. is made up of. I mean, you are more likely to see a book that has an inanimate object or an animal than you are to see a diverse character. And that's... Yeah. That's criminal to me. And I think for some might say, well, you know, what's the big deal? If you go through psychology reports and, and I have, I think people underestimate the amount of information being absorbed by young children. And the American uh, Association of Psychology listed this report. And I, I must have read the line about 500 times. I couldn't get over it, but the line was at the age of three. Children in the United States associate um, white characters with money and uh, basically elevated status. And I wow. couldn't believe that at age three, that was something that was happening. So to me, there's a real- That's crazy. Uh, there's a real need to to mm. try to tell more stories and have people see themselves in stories. You know, my career, as I made reference to, I didn't know that that was an option for me to be a sportscaster. I didn't think about it. It really wasn't, at least until I got to college, I it was the first time I had cable in my life. We didn't have cable when I was growing up as a kid. And I'm watching ESPN and Michael Kim is on TV. And I, I like paused for a second. I was like, damn, like there's an Asian dude doing sports. I'd yeah. never seen that before. And I think that planted a seed for me. And then fast forward, you know, about 10 years. And then Michael and I got to do shows together at ESPN and I get to, to still call him a friend. And, you know, those are the types of things. And I know there's that old adage, you need to see it to believe it. And to me, it sounds cheesy and corny and no one wants uh -huh. to hear it. We all roll our eyes, but. It's, it's true. It's mm -hmm. reality. So when you ask, Hey, is, is there, you know, other stories? I got a couple of manuscripts. I'm really excited. I think I'm kind of close on something. Um, that's taken some of my own personal experiences in life and placing it in a story. And I, I think this is me going on a little bit of a tangent here, Lisa, and I apologize, but there's, there's something that's really frustrating. Even when we find stories with diverse characters, a lot of the verticals, um, in those stories center around similar themes. And mm. what I mean by that is it's stories about Ill, uh, immigration, for example, or just icons in, in a particular um, uh, genre from a, a, a particular culture, I should say, or it's someone based on their appearance. And while I think those stories are important, I do think they're limiting. So for me, with these next projects that I'm working on, I, I don't want those types of stories. Like I want to expand how we're telling stories about different characters from, yeah. from various backgrounds. I love this. You know, one thing I think it, it really does is, you know, one of the top hobbies we have in this country and around the world is researching our family history. 
It's a huge thing. And so I think this sparks some excitement for kids to celebrate their family history and go, oh, well, this is what the food we had, you know, in Italy. Oh, this is what we had in China. I love that you went back to the actual countries of the grandmas of what they and and showed that in a very subtle way that, hey, yeah, now they're here in this country. Maybe they're not. But yeah, here they are here. Right. Because we're just I mean, they could be anywhere, actually. But they're showing like, hey, this is where I'm from. And then it may spark interest in the kids to have those conversations with their elders. And that's really exciting for the elders, but to also get to understand their roots, their actual cultural heritage, instead of what is TV telling us to do? No, no offense doubt. since you're in TV, but you, you know no, what I mean? The right. commercialism yeah. of yeah. things um, you, where it's just like everyone is this and that's that. And we need to all dress this way. Well, what about our roots and then developing who we are individually and also honoring our roots from the past, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's something really big with what you're doing and you do it in a very subtle way and let people take it themselves so i don't think it's just for four-year-olds is is my point too i think this is a really good tool uh for families to utilize yeah and and once again and i i appreciate those kind words because i think to me it's it's sort of humbling to hear your opinion on that because i think when i started this project i i was hoping that the conversations would continue which is why that back page is about those funky food combinations and you don't need to be chinese or italian to have your own food combinations and i'm hoping that parents you know will express some of those thoughts to their kids you know i i, I just think it's there's so much value in in furthering some of those conversations. And I understand that, look, you and I are adults, right? Like we can probably Mm -hmm. speak a little bit differently on the topics of diversity than a four or five or six-year-old. But I think the introduction of some of those topics and not in a polarizing fashion, just, hey, you know, to your child, hey, this is, you know, this is your ethnicity. This is where mom is from or grandma's from, or this is where dad's from. It makes it cool. You've made it cool, like something fun and exciting versus, Oh, you're this, you're that. And my mom says this or no, it, it's made it more of a cool thing and bridging the gaps that are there. I mean, we do have a problem in this country of uh, people not understanding different cultures and belittling as well. Um, so we do have that issue. And so I think this is a way of going, Hey, you know what? Some cultures have united. So let's have a look at this, whether you like it or not, you know, but without telling and preaching and pointing a finger, it's allowing kids to just have fun and celebrate each other and be curious. That's the, I think the food and what else can you do kind of thing at the back where, you know, what are your funky food finds? Like, you know, your mashups that gets kids together. Like, Hey, you're this, you're that let's mix them. You know, Um, the curiosity is, is a good thing and it's positive. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good word to use when you say curiosity around not only their own personal experiences mm-hmm. and their family background, but their friends as well. I, I think we're oftentimes too very quick to put labels on, on everything. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example for me, you know, I'm Chinese and Italian and I have now over the last few months made a conscious decision to stop saying I'm half Chinese and half Italian because when I was a kid and I was around with my family, they never made me feel like I was half of anything. When I was with my Chinese family, like, oh yeah, Mike's Chinese. If I was with my Italian family, Mike's Italian. And it wasn't until I started Hmm. going to school and, and, you know, being around friends when they would ask. And then all of a sudden it became, oh, you're half this and half that. And as I've gotten older, I'm being totally candid. 
there's been some frustration where sometimes someone will say, well, you're not really Chinese or you're not really Italian. You're, you're half a Chinese, you're half Italian. And I, it, it sort of started to bother me a little bit. And I think I've sort of netted out at a point where if I take math out of it, I say to myself, well, no, I'm, I'm Chinese and I'm Italian. So that's why I say uh, I don't use the half anymore because I don't think there's a reason to to kind of go down down that path. You can legitimately be both. And I think there's so many families mm-hmm. that are out there that probably are having that same thought process. And and you know, maybe their children as they get older, like I don't think they need to say that they're half of of anything. They're they're hundred yeah. percent Chinese and you know they're hundred percent Italian. You could be Chitalian. Yeah. You could oh, create I your like own. That. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, you could be Chitalian. That sounds like I a like good that. coffee. Like that sounds like a drink. Yeah. That sounds no. good. That, and it's that a mixed delicious. blended one. It's Yeah, you know, see, we the, are the blend it's an icy here. One. See? Yes. We're we're yes. the big blends. We like to blend everything, you know, and you, it's unity. And I don't know, it's it, that's a way of just coming up with your own mashup. So, I mean, we could do that with the names of of cultures, yeah. right? Why not blend blended coffee? I feel like there's a little cappuccino in there. Maybe we'll throw a little boba in into the Ooh, mix yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So we're we're Ooh. we're here. I like this. You got to have some spice in there. Yeah, I think some spice. Something a little splash hot. of cinnamon, maybe. Mm-hmm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, the little, I'm in. Little bite. Okay, yeah. we're we're there. Well, okay. I'm well, to get this hungry. is very this food and drink. Talk. I know. I know. I'm I'm like this is fun. <laughs> I'm kind of digging this, but I agree with you. Like, um, in my family's heritage, we've got we got all kinds of crazy stuff going on in ours, but there's um the family story of us being part native American and it's Paiute and one whole side of the family is like, that did not happen. And I'm going, dude, that's so cool. So now it's like, and then it's like, Oh, well, if you are, it's only one sixteenth of a percent. And I'm like, yeah. All right. So like, really, I just actually want to know who, who was who, like, I want to, you know, but sure. that um there's that older generation that no, you did not, you know, our family did not mix over there. And I'm like, Oh, I think we, we did. There's certain things. And, and I remember going through, we have, we've gone through regions where the Paiutes live and, and going through, and there's wow. this one book I have and it's a Paiute warrior. And I swear to God, I'm a splitting image other than blonde hair, a splitting image of this man. Wow. And that's kind of freaky. And I'm going, you can't tell me, you know, these lines and everything we have, they're very, much from that and yet one whole side of the family is like that did not happen that is wild so, to me you got to do a, a little podcast on something like this just you know it is images it, yeah it's such a weird thing how people don't want to accept part of their roots and then i mean sure. i think we're getting better i think we are getting better depending on how you're raised i mean you're not raised you know to be racist i mean you're not born racist but you're raised sure. that way and we do have that um, and I think especially, uh, in regards to our Asian community that we've, we've been really bad the last few years, especially. Yeah. So I think having a book out there, I'm just going to, I mean, uh, it's an important thing for kids because they hear stuff. I mean, three, four years old, you don't tell me they don't understand and hear what's going on in the world. Right. And yeah. so now to have something that, you know, celebrates who they are. Just taking it that I have to go that extra step on it because it's true is really, really, really important. So I'm glad you're doing more. No, I appreciate it, Lisa. And I think even the idea of being able to embrace and seeing yourself in in a particular role, like I think there's an empowerment aspect of this, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you are consistently seeing stories as a child, and I'm not saying diverse stories or, or excuse me, diverse children or white children, I think just any child in general, if you are consistently showing them images and giving them narratives of positive 
messaging when the characters look one way. I, to me, that's like a subtle hint that maybe they're, they're better. And I think there's that impressionable factor that's there, which is why for me, having a variety of different stories are, is really valuable because all children then would be able to see themselves and there'll be some curiosity. And guess what? Like, I don't need to look like this mm-hmm. to have, to be good, for example. So I, you know, that's, that's, it's about some of that positivity that's there. I just don't see a downside in having diverse stories. I, I can't be, no. you know, and I, I don't want to make these like bold, outrageous claims, but I don't like the, the data and the research indicates one thing. And the reality mm-hmm. is that the publishing companies that are out there, the big five, they can talk about wanting diversity. They can talk about, you know, pushing some of these books, but while there's been a slow uh, curve and a slow line towards having more diversity, you know, the studies that are out there will tell you like that, that there's just not nearly enough inventory. Well, I, I think it's even even the same in movies and um, film no and and all of that. I mean, it's it's just this marginal side, and I think that all the muckety mucks honestly go, oh yeah, we know this. We do focus groups, but they're so busy doing meetings that they never actually do what they need to do. So it takes ten years because they're so tied up in that kind mm-hmm. of meet, meeting land. Um, that's why I like being, you know, entrepreneurs. We've, like, we have an idea. All right, let's get going. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. that's, um, why some of the smaller publishing houses yep. are, you're, you're seeing them take the, 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 the strength. You know, look at the vinyl industry, right? The vinyl industry tanks, all of this happens, but where the big guys aren't doing it. Where's Columbia Records doing vinyl? Where are the big guys? And if they came in, vinyl would be more accessible. Uh, it would be more uh, cost effective for the consumer and for the musicians. But right now, it's the independents who are standing up and having to create vinyl and making it, making it have a comeback. But the big music Slow publishers. Yeah. Yeah. It's the meetings. I'm telling you. It's the yeah. meetings. I think people need to stop with these long meetings that are unproductive. I have a thing about it. It's become my new, uh, soapboxes. Just get on with it. Just get on with it. Just Put your it. feet yeah. in the water and jump in because if the independents can do it, the big guys can. I really yeah. believe that. You know, so no, I, again, from a resource standpoint to be able to execute on some of these things, the speed, like I was, I was on a call. The, the animation that you have, that, ama- that animation and that people can access it for free on YouTube, I think is a massive deal because animation takes so much time getting the voice acting, yeah. the colors, the movement. It, that, that really, that's huge. Yeah. But think about it from that perspective, right? The animation process took, um, from start to finish. If I said writing the book till it launched on Vox's platform as a video, let's just spitball here and say it was six months. And Vox is team has got over 300 titles at this point that they have animated. Um, not a huge company. You know, we're not talking about a big five publishing house. This is a, a company that does that really specializes in the animation side. So six months to do this story. That's right. Track add the music, the voiceovers, the narration, the whole thing. Um, if I was about to go with the project that I'm working on next, I've been told it could be anywhere from a year to two years for it to launch in print. Um, Laura had finished her illustrations probably in, within a month and a half. So if you're telling me, and the story was written, so the speed at which you can create these books for various communities 
in my mind, the reality is much faster than the publishing companies want to execute on. So I, it's, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. The speed at which the big boys want to play is it's like molasses and, and super slow. And then the younger companies that are more nimble and willing to make some of those decisions. I don't need to tell you, right? Like you, you, mm-hmm. you have all these different verticals on, on business and culture and, and things that are happening in society. On the business side, the smaller businesses are the ones who really can innovate pretty quickly. Yeah. And we're the ones taking the bigger risks, you know, yeah. it, it, it <laughs> no is. It, yeah. But you know, that's the way we, we love the underdogs, don't we? For that reason, you know, the yeah. muckety mucks at the top, you know, just get on your, your famous little airplanes and, you know, fly around and, you know, just, I don't understand. It, it's the, the book world and the music world are hand in hand. The writing, the creative world is just doing, the, we've got to support the independence, like what yeah. you're doing. I, I really believe in that, that it's, um, crucial because that's where we get diversity for um, just education, the diverse education that is needed, not just the same mainstream thing that you hear on the radio every day, you know? So it's the same thing in books. It's the same. It's almost become formulaic what is happening in the publishing world. It's like, you need to follow this formula X, Y, Z, and that's how it needs to be. And that way we have sponsors and you can do this. They've, they're following a formula and eventually that will run dry. And that's what I don't understand about, you know, how long are you going to be in meetings when that well is going to eventually run dry? That's kind of. Anyway, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. We went on that soapbox, didn't we? (laughs) Yeah, we we did. But listen, uh, I want everyone to go get it. Fried rice and marinara. It's out now. And uh, we've got a link to uh, the books, uh, the animation in the show notes. And you can also keep up with Mike on Instagram, right? Instagram and Twitter. Instagram and Twitter. You know, I'm not cool enough. I haven't made the full transition, but that other social media platform that's now called X, that was called Twitter, um, it's the same handle for for both that medium and also Instagram, at Mike underscore Yam. Uh, the video is available, uh, like you said, on YouTube and on Books' platform. And the book itself is on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Uh, honestly, it has been... It's the whole process has been crazy to me and I can't believe I'm doing an interview with you and we're talking about an actual physical book that people can get. But I really do hope that the story resonates with a lot of families and, and, you know, it sparks some good conversations at home. Well, I'm going to go cook now because I'm hungry (laughs) and I'm thirsty. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mike. It's been a real pleasure and best wishes on your next venture with the next book too. (laughs) I appreciate you. I can't wait to be back on with you to talk about that one too. Absolutely. You better stay in touch. Yeah. (laughs) 